Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here as I speak. Today is Thursday. That's correct, right, D? Yeah. All right, today is Thursday. But when you're hearing this, it's Saturday or Sunday or Monday or Tuesday. It could be the New Year. Happy New Year. Because this is podcasting, ladies and gentlemen. Podcasting, a whole new concept. And uh, this is what we call our bonus uh, feature, Bonus Saturday. We concentrate on the media, and it's my pleasure to bring on one of the greats in Chicago media. She's going to deny it because she's always, Ben, don't say that. It's too much. But she is truly one of the greats in Chicago media, the great, the legendary, the immortal, Linda Lutton from WBEZ. All right, Linda. Oh, my God. <laughs> Too much. Uh, okay. It's too much, Ben. <laughs> All right, let's uh, bring it down. Let me just tell you something. You know, everybody, oh, Linda Lutton, that superstar, this, that, and the other thing. I knew her when she was just starting out. I don't think anyone says that, Ben. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, some people must say it. But uh, do you remember that many, many years ago? You may remember this because I probably tell you this every time I see you. When you came out of college, I believe, or maybe there's a little time lapse in there, you were a proofreader at the Chicago Reader. Do you remember oh, that, Linda Lutton? Yeah, of course. That was foundational, I think, about the reader. Yeah, I was a proofreader. There was a whole stable of proofreaders. Some really crazy cats. Yeah. Shelly. Remember Shelly? Oh, my gosh. He, he lived at the reader. He yeah. slept under his uh, in his cubicle, right? Yeah. I don't know. Is he still with us? Or did he pass on? You know what? I, I don't know, because I was not able to completely keep up with Shelly. But yeah, there was some crazy cats. Well, back back in those days, the reader was a lot bigger than it is today, uh, not just in terms of the paper itself, which I have a copy right here. Those were the days of four sections. Four sections and about 400 proofreaders. There were so yeah. many proofreaders. There was a lot of proofreaders. It was a whole, and we took our job seriously, man. Every article in the paper got, you know, in, it was written and then it was edited and then it went to two proofreaders. Yeah. We initialed. I mean, they were, we were deep. Can you say badass? Yeah, you can it's say, you swear, it's a podcast. Oh, oh, you yes, can drop right all kinds home. of bombs. If you're Monroe Anderson, good God. <laughs> oh, what a dirty sailor that guy is. <laughs> but man, so, uh, all right. And that's where I read all your work. Yeah, right? you I were, read it before it came out. Before you rewrote it, probably. But all right, let me ask you this, Linda Lutton. You probably got calls from the editor. I got a proofreader here that wants to know, yes! is this really Pullman? Oh, God, they drove <laughs> or is me crazy. that West Pullman? Yes, that's exactly yeah, that. That was my comment. Yeah, or or like one time I wrote a ham and cheese sandwich, and I got a question from, all right, uh, is the sandwich ham and cheese, or is it ham sandwich here and a cheese? My God, I don't know. Is it hyphenated ham and cheese sandwich? Yeah, exactly. Or did you eat ham and a cheese sandwich. That is correct. Yes. Oh, people want to know. Too. <laughs> uh, and and the other thing is, are explain to me this. Why does the reader not capitalize, like for instance, North Side or West Side or South Side? This is the thing I would always I was yes, taught the, to. The Chicago Manual of Style, who, right? Is there 
such a thing? Do they still do that? I, I don't know. I think, but I've been taught. First, I was taught that it, you always capitalize the N in North and the S inside. And then Shelley told me, no, he had some reason uh, <laughs> that it was lowercase N and lowercase S. And so they trained me to do that. And then when I would write for other publications. They would uppercase them. And yeah. so you don't know the rhyme or reason? Well, it's the Chicago Manual of Style. That was the style guide we were following at the reader. So oh, that's there is what a sh- we learned, I thought you yeah. were joking. There no, is I'm sh- not. Yeah. Is that the did, University they, of Chicago? They never told you. <laughs> they no. never gave you the book. No wonder you're a copy every damn week. No, just, just kidding. That's not true. No, no, That's I, I, not true. Well, let me just tell you this right now. Oh, wait. Uh, I also want to say for anyone working in publishing, like what we would read were galleys. So these were printed out on big white sheets of paper. And we would be reading, in fact, for whether the words split in a way that was understandable. Yes. So if you had a height, you know, if, if it was a line and the word was running over to the next line, we had to think about that line break. It was like a very visual and, you know, this is still the print newspaper. Yeah. And that just tells you, you know, that was sort of the height of the newspaper 90s. industry, right? The, you were 90s, in the 90s, mid yeah. 90s, yeah. Mid 90s. Uh, all right. So moving on, Linda Lutton has gone a long way since those days when she was forced to proofread uh, <laughs> columns by Ben Jarofsky. <laughs> And you're at, you went it to, was a luxury. It, thank you. God bless yeah. you, Linda. And uh, a lot of other great writers at that time, really. Yes. It was, I was paid to read, you know, Steve Volgira, Tori Marlin. Think of all the... John Conroy was writing all his, his police stuff, uh, yeah. torture stuff. You know, it was really a very... I felt it was a high moment at the, the paper, and it was, a, it was a great paper. Yeah. The Reader still is a great paper. Chicago Reader. Paper. All right. I'm showing the... The non-viewers, the reader. All right, so you've, of course, moved on from your days as a proofreader at the reader. Uh, you went to work for the Southtown Economist. I'm doing this off the top of my head. Yep. Southtown Economist is a beat reporter. And then you found your way to BEZ. Did I lose anything? Well, and- I wrote a bunch for the reader for a while, you know, as a freelancer. also had three kids in there. So if you want to... You know, squeeze that. Oh, in. that doesn't matter. Kids okay, are yeah, all but, yeah. Uh, but uh, no, that's true. You were a mother, you and were uh, still what a mother. I was up to, yeah. Um, and so, uh, you're best known at BEZ as the education reporter. Uh, and one time or another, I have mentioned in a column that you should be the superintendent of schools. I'm sure you appreciated that. <laughs> oh my uh, God, so so I know. Let's talk a little bit about that. How many years did you do the education? Ten, years. Ten, years. Ten years at that beat, but I was at the the Daily South Town. Yeah, Southtown Economist was a prior iteration. I didn't make it for that one, but the Daily Southtown, I had been the education reporter there for a few years. Then I did, uh, sorry, three years as a freelancer in Mexico. Oh and my God, um, I and then that. I came yeah. back to BEZ, and uh, as the education reporter, that was my first experience with radio. So that was 2008. So 2008. So let me, my mind, I can do this. 2008, that would have been the last years of Daily Huberman was the head yeah. of. So I, did, I still got a tiny bit of Duncan uh, before he was plucked uh, to go to uh, DC mm-hmm. with Barack Obama, of course. President Obama took our. Uh, our CEO with him as education secretary. So I was there for that. I covered that uh, that uh, sort of announcement, actually. It was over on the west side. I want to say that was Dodge School. Very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, of course, that site was chosen because it had been a school that the district uh, completely turned upside down. That was one of the schools we gave to AUSL. Mm-hmm 
which that's correct. We talked about. Oh my goodness, Linda it's Thursday. Yeah. So we're, yeah. that was in the uh, news today. The AUSL. Look up Thursday's Chicago Tribune for the Bill Ruthert story about. Hmm. Uh, Still in the news. Look at is that today's paper? Uh, today's Thursday, May 9th, Yes. Read that headline. It's just the all you have to do is read the very top headline. I don't know if it's in today's paper. He- no, that very top headline. Oh. Oh yes, how yeah, duh. Just read the yeah, headline. I saw that. How did uh, CPS High School get in line for a thirteen million dollar gym? Yes, indeed. The and guy asked for it. So this is the uh, the the wow. uh, Mike Holdike who yep. ran a philanthropist who's uh, started a bunch of school initiatives. Among them, the Golden Apple Award that the teachers get, yeah. and uh, he started another outfit called the Academy for Urban School Leadership. Mm-hmm. And uh, that started out as a teacher training outfit, but quickly, pretty quickly became a turnaround uh, provider. So they will take over failing schools and manage them. And uh, that school, Dodge Renaissance Academy, I'm going off memory there. Yeah, on Washington, I want to say. Yeah, on West Washington. Yeah. Uh, that school was, um, was turned around, they call it. So yeah. all, all teachers fired. Um, I actually believe that was um, Terrell Williams and Dodge were among the very first schools that Arnie Duncan shut down. So Terrell would have been, com- or I'm sorry, Dodge would have been completely closed, mm-hmm. and it was later handed over to AUSL. Yeah. Maybe like a year later, I want to say. And, and in many ways, your careers are uh, blending together. You're now, uh, the, well, we'll talk about your neighborhood a reporter beat that is the new beat. Um, but so much of the planning decisions made by the city of Chicago, this is me speaking, Ben Jarofsky, not Linda Lutton. Uh, so many Uh-oh. of the planning What's decisions. What's he going to say? <laughs> <laughs> so many of the planning decisions by the, uh, that have been implemented by our mayors, be they uh, manual uh, or daily, uh, have had the impact of f- making the city more expensive. And by making it more expensive, you make it more difficult uh, for working or poor people to live here. Neighborhoods gentrify, neighborhoods uh, lose power. Population and when the neighborhood population falls, the school closes. When you close the school, teachers get laid off, uh, and there's even less of a reason for the people who are in those neighborhoods to stick around those neighborhoods, just hastening the gentrification of the city of Chicago. Some would say it's part of a larger plan. That's Ben Jarofsky speaking, not necessarily Linda Lutton. What do you think about that, Linda? Uh oh. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, These are dynamics that are happening in cities all over the nation. So I don't think you can probably put everything on... Oh, what the heck? Our outgoing mayor, (laughs) Ben. Or the one before him. Let's not forget him. Uh, But I definitely think, you know, as a reporter that's reported on schools, and uh, and now I'm reporting on neighborhoods, Chicago neighborhoods, my new beat, uh, you definitely see this sort of vicious cycle going, right? where you do have some population decrease. And then the school district is faced with a genuine, you know, dilemma, right? Because you have uh, 200 kids, let's say, in some cases, just 150, 90 kids in a school. And you really can't run a school efficiently anymore with those numbers. Uh, But that's how we got 50 school closings. I mean, we've we've been, um, you know, closing schools. WBEZ, one of the last projects I worked on, actually did a count of the uh, number of, just a raw number of schools that we have closed uh, over the last, uh, well, a generation, we called it a generation of school closings, and we dated from the very first school closings, Williams, Dodge, and Trell, and that would have been in uh, 2002 or so. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, we've hit 200 schools that we've either shut down 
or uh, or or fired everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, put that in the closing. And uh, one of my, I, if I did a greatest uh, hit list of Linda Lutton school stories, uh, at the top of the list, just uh, my own pleasurable list here uh, is the one you did. Let's just take go down memory lane a little bit okay. for this. You, I oh. may probably can figure out which one it is going to be. The paid oh, protester. Paid oh, protesters. Yes. I think I got four columns out of this story. Oh. <laughs> Linda did all the work, and I was like, "Oh man, there's another yeah. column." <laughs> uh, and uh, to, yes. tell, this... to remind people about the paid protester stories from the early days of Mayor Rahm's administration. Yes, this would have been. Um... This is when we've got some school closings up and a strange thing happened that never had happened before. We have supporters of the school closings. <laughs> and I was like, what? Yeah. The signs <laughs> People and good job, out. Board of Education. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they came in buses and uh, yeah, luckily we uh, we did track down the church that had, uh, where everyone had met at. Uh, these were some very down and out folks, some down and out uh, protesters who did not quite know exactly what side of town they were on. Could have been South Side, could have been West Side. Uh, and um, yeah, we also talked to folks who said they they got the money in a white envelope, mm-hmm. $120 and $110 bill wow. uh, to come out and protest in favor of the school closings. In favor. So this is why yeah. many people, and I will not put this on Linda Lutton, many people in the city of Chicago are, to put it mildly, very skeptical of any uh, decision made by the Board of Education, the Chicago Public Schools, because I kind of think the whole system is rigged. There's a feeling that's pervasive in the city of Chicago. And whether she intended to or not, uh, the reporters at BEZ, including Linda, kind of fed that with these great stories about how they were paying protesters. They were paying protesters. And you got to give credit to Sarah Karp, who was at Catalyst at the time, also reporting on that. And uh, with me that night was uh, Lucretia Burtz. And I, she went out to Crane, uh, Crane high school and uh, I was south at uh, I think they were trying to close I remember being in front of Bond school but I cannot remember for the life of me which school they wanted which of the 200 schools they were trying to close that night yeah. sorry uh, but yeah paid protesters and then you know they found that uh, resolute consulting mm, uh, that Boulder. was a tr- contribution mm. from the Chicago Tribune you didn't pass out enough um, <laughs> I don't know like everybody deserved a little oh. piece of that you know all the reporters sort of were coming with different aspects of that story so yeah. that was the Tribune uh, that uh, filled have to in give with credit that. to the Tribune for something yeah, oh. might, God, might. I hate come on, all right. come oh, on. okay I'll do it all right Tribune nice job <laughs> once in a while they hey, can't uh, hey, John Cass. Tri- yeah Cass it almost makes up for it the wretched Cass. editor oh no definitely wasn't Cass are you kidding Close them all down. Good damn it. Um, anyway, Linda Lutton, uh, I have to ask you this before we move on. Uh, one of the passions you have, uh, and I know this because I did an interview with you many years ago with the reader uh, regarding uh, sort of the way news is spun by the merchants of propaganda that the various mayors of Chicago employ uh, to distort and uh, you know uh, sort of mislead us. Uh, what have you, and then you're passionate about wanting to get at the truth and not falling for uh, the BS. Uh, one of the great contradictions, the way the, the mayors present schools, is that a mayor always inherits a school system that is in dire straits, one of the worst in the nation, and then somehow or other when he leaves, and it's always a he, I mean, now it'll be a she, so that was he's spinning that narrative, 
It's a renaissance. So it's amazing. So Mayor Rahm, as he walks out of office, is saying, I saved the schools. I saved the schools. They were the worst schools. I said, I'm like, wait a minute. I know I got advancing age, but I can still remember that everybody was praising Mayor Daly for saving Mayor Daly. Remember, he was the uh, education mayor. Isn't that right? Yeah. Yes. So how can you save something that was already saved? Please explain that to me. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, it's sort of this notion of you got to create a crisis in order to get something done, right? In order to pass a tax increase, for instance, or in order to really shake things up, right? So that's that's what you see. Yeah. We were the worst. Let's see. We were the worst in the nation in a lot of things. I think they said we had the shortest school day. Mm-hmm. Not exactly true. Um, we're, you know, we weren't the worst in the nation, I think there's also his big thing was uh, mandatory kindergarten. Uh, Now we have mandatory kindergarten, full day kindergarten. Like some kids may not even want to go to, some parents may not even want their kids to go to full day. And you're going to have my colleague Sarah Carpin on this, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, Sarah Carpin. She's doing the legacy piece, so she'll be able to fact check. But yes, I I definitely, you know, the, the, the whole, I mean, one of the key jobs of media is to hold politicians to account for what they're saying and, uh, you know, essentially fact check. And, you know, I think Emmanuel had a lot of ideas. It's, it's a night and day difference right now between Lightfoot coming in with all these committees, you know, she's got all these transition teams and asking people, you know, what, what is she, uh, what, what do they think should be done in these various areas? And you can go up and read all the memos that all the different, uh, Chicagoans wrote full disclosure. My husband's an artist and he was on the arts committee. Um, okay. Guess what? You know, he's a muralist and he thinks we need a lot more murals. I agree with <laughs> him. Very... Here, here, more murals. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, the, 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 but when Rami Manuel came in, I mean, he had a lot of ideas and he was, you know, being advised by a lot of the philanthropists in town who've thought uh, deeply about education and he thought he had a good plan and he came in uh, like a bull and wanted to implement his plan as is mm-hmm. and that included you know longer school day which broke uh, the, the teacher's contract he didn't seem to care about that uh, you know and I think a lot of he got he got a lot of blowback for yeah. for that the, the school closings was another thing and in order to achieve those goals yes he needed to paint everything as a crisis and and in sort of dire straits and this is why we've got to do this and he's going to use his political capital to do what's right it's always about doing what's right and doing you know what's Airports for the, rights. what's for the well, I didn't do the air quotes, but I did Ben did the air quotes. (laughs) Thank you. Someone had to. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I think, you know, part of the, 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 that's, that's what he has to do. He has to come, he has to show that things are bad and you need these significant major reforms. Mm -hmm. I mean, these weren't small reforms. They were big reforms. Yeah. And the underlying assumption that that the public of the city of Chicago is like a a big old cow. You can just drag them here, drag them there. They don't remember what, what the mayor said the week before that's Ben talking. That's not Linda talking. All right, let's move on. Uh, and I won't drag you down there, (laughs) uh, but that's uh, how I view things. Um, so you've now uh, have a new beat. It is the neighborhood beat. And uh, talk about that. Yeah, Chicago neighborhoods. I've got your old beat, Ben. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ben Jarofsky, probably uh, some people still remember an, a column you used to write. This is the column I used to proofread. That neighborhood News, it was called. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, I always loved that column. I thought it was perfect. I thought it was a great length. It was every single week you took us to like a different neighborhood political spat. I mean, I, I remember thinking there were some stories you could you went really small. Sometimes you're like, this guy can't get the graffiti <laughs> off his you know, garage door. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, no I, story was too small. I loved that. Yeah. I, I thought it was great. And I'm basically trying to replicate what you were doing 20 years ago on the radio yeah. now. Okay, good luck um, with that. Okay. Uh, wait, 20 <laughs> I'm years ago. Let me, let me do the math. Hold on. I'm not that great with math, but uh, let's. where's Dan Biss? Yeah, when come we on, him? Dan Biss. Figure right. it out. Yeah, I, was, I did neighborhood <laughs> news throughout the, uh, oh my goodness, a long time. I started in the mid 80s. I did it throughout the 90s. And then sometime in the early O's, uh, Allison True. What up, Allison? Uh, who was the editor of the reader at the time? Uh, she'd say, "Hey, Ben, why don't you write a political column?" Because I'll tell you this, Linda. I view this is. I never. I, I wasn't at the reader anymore when that happened. You were long but. gone, left uh, for bigger, better things. But uh, I always viewed writing the neighborhood news column as the equivalent of going to school in Chicago. I'm not from Chicago, so I had to learn Chicago. And uh, doing that neighborhood news, taking me to a different neighborhood, meeting different people, and then like like the, one of my favorite stories was the lady who complained <laughs> about that the city wasn't um, recycling the Christmas trees. I love this lady. I forget her name, but man, she was passionate <laughs> about because you... Mayor Daly called himself a great, you know, environmentalist. Green, yeah, green, they were green. taking the Christmas trees that people put in their back and just throwing them in the garbage <laughs> truck. And this lady go, they should be. What is that called when you put the, the mulched like, or whatever? Mulch. Yeah, you're from Alton. What's it called when like you put all the garbage into a mulched? No, man. They should be recycled. Recycled. Yeah, Who but wants to say recycled. They it, should be mulched though. Mulch? Is that mulch? <laughs> when you put like all your your garbage and something. You know how people put garbage in a pile? Yeah. The compost? Compost, Eve. There you go. Right. It's on the tip of my tongue. I'm glad she said that. Anyway, uh, so that was the kind of story. So, all right. So what? So do you view the, your, your new column as, or excuse me, not a column, your new beat uh, as telling small stories that have a larger points? Is that what you're uh, getting at here? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think there's so many of those great stories in Chicago. And, and also one of the things I've really, like, I love radio. I've I love it. I probably it's bad for my career, but I probably won't go back to print. But bad for my career because I have one employer possibility in town. Oh well, wait, you yeah, guys, hey, look at us. Guys. We can <laughs> always use Linda Lutton on the Ben Jarofsky show. Send us your application. Yeah, we'll review it right here. Uh, <laughs> and where's that petty cash again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Under the table with all the Republican politicians. Um, so, yeah, so you uh, go ahead. So, yeah, I mean, I, I love radio, and I think this beat in particular, you know, covering Chicago neighborhoods, uh, it just lets me put regular Chicagoans on the, on the air, which I love. So... Um, so that's one big point. I think the, you know, I think also in such a segregated city, I think another thing that the radio really can do is sort of just let uh, Chicagoans sort of meet each other in a way that they don't usually actually do in the city. Um, and, you know, I hope to get to, to issues that still affect youth and young people, um, you know, and, and then everything in between, you know, how the city works or doesn't or doesn't work uh sort of people's hopes and aspirations you know um just 
flat out injustices. I hope to deal with some of the biggest problems the city's, you know, grappling with and that are going to continue to be problems. Um, You know, you mentioned gentrification. That's moving people out and it's moving other folks in. Like we are at a really critical moment in our city's history. I think we're at the most critical moment we've seen since like, I think for 50 years, since the 1960s. I mean, I think we're in a point of fundamental demographic shift in Chicago that's going to reshape our city going forward. And uh, this is the time to be writing from the neighborhoods. That's where all of that's going to be happening. Uh, I'm also going to be writing about our new neighborhoods, so Lincoln Yards and the 78 and developments like that. I think uh, I'm I'm interested in tackling those sorts of uh, developments as well. That could be its own beat (laughs) unto itself. I guess we have enough of those big big projects. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, that's what I hope for. And... um, you, you talked about um, interviewing regular Chicagoans. And I know what you mean by when you say that. Um, but then you talked about the gentrification. And when I think of one and think of the other, I realize that the changes in the city of Chicago mean it's almost like a regular Chicagoan is an endangered species. A regular Chicagoan is moving out or maybe it doesn't even uh, exist anymore or it's less and less. still a couple of them. A couple of them. Enough to keep you busy. I'm going to find them. But but yeah, I think, I I mean, I think there's different folks moving in. We know that. And, and... You know, Chicago, Chicago, I mean, think of the the, the moniker, right? I mean, city of neighborhoods. That's how we've thought of ourselves. So Mm -hmm. I hope this beat really just gets to the, the heart of what being a Chicagoan is. And I do think, you know, we, we know from census data that we have lots of folks moving out, mostly black folks moving out, and we have lots of folks moving in. Those folks tend to be younger and white and affluent. Uh, and they're moving to north side areas and they are jamming up our uh, housing prices. And I think it's going to be, I think it's going to shift our politics. It's going to shift how we think about ourselves as a city. I wonder if we're still going to think of ourselves as a city of neighborhoods or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're going to see the commodification of neighborhoods, which is a... What do you uh, mean by that? Well, I was I was on the north side uh, the other day, Ben, which I know you live up, up on the north side. Uh, I tend to tell my people at work that I don't go on the north side unless I'm assigned there. I do, though, now for my beat. You know, wait, you came to the north side to pose for a photo for my article. Yeah, I did. That was an ex- <laughs> Try, well, I was really assigned, being nice you know, to me, make it as easy as for me. Ben, <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, I'm not gonna make you have to go anywhere. I was going through my what's that? Oh, we you, picked the school though that had been closed on Emmanuel's block. Wow, that was I mean, weird, wasn't it? Yeah, he that's, closed the school in his own block. You could probably see it from his house. We were talking about yes. that, right? That, come on, that is weird. I know you're you got to really play it straight that and narrow was, with Mayor Ron, but that's pretty weird. He that's closes. Courtney School, yeah. Very good memory. Good yeah. God, that's why they pay me the big uh, yeah the big public bucks. radio bucks. Um, but the commodification of Chicago's neighborhoods. What do you mean by yeah, that? Yeah. So the other day on the north side, actually, kind of by where Lincoln Yards is, I saw this like neighborhoods.com billboard. Have you seen that? Uh, yes, I'm well aware of the neighborhoods.com billboard. That's uh, I, a could talk, story. I could talk about that billboard all day. Oh, really? You're talking about the one that's uh, like on Elston Avenue? Yeah, Elston and kind of around Ashland right there, tell, Armitage. Uh, tell them what that billboard used to be. <laughs> oh, Do you no. really want to? That billboard this? used to be me. 
Oh, uh, that was your yeah 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 your progressive talk. Rhythm, man. Oh, driving no that singing, speed. no yeah. singing. Oh, I was thinking you got replaced by the Lincoln Yards billboard, which re- is also like right over there off the Kennedy. Literally right? replaced, like the person who's now doing the show is a billboard. Uh, no, just kidding. <laughs> um, but uh, no, one of the reasons. Well, all right, let's not get into why I was fired. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I've always believed there was a, a Lincoln Yard theme to my firing, and uh, to me, uh, Lincoln. Yards is uh, symbolic of many things that are changing in the city of Chicago, many aspects of Chicago. But you, I want to get you back to the commodification of Chicago neighborhoods. Go ahead. Yeah, just um, I don't know how much I don't know how much you want to hear about this. I haven't done my story on the commodification of neighborhoods yet, but I think you know this notion of sort of selling neighborhoods of a neighborhood. Um, of buying into a neighborhood, like when you go to that website, it's like, what are you looking for? Mm -hmm. Um, And I just think, you know, that's not really how people ended up in Chicago neighborhoods before. You know, Mm -hmm. they ended up through immigration patterns, migration patterns, through family. And, uh, you know, I think Chicago's changing neighborhoods landscape is reflective of larger economic changes that are big macroeconomic changes, uh, you know, affecting the whole country, um, you know, but uh, but uh, but they'll definitely affect Chicago going forward and how we think of ourselves, like what kind of city is Chicago? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you're uh, coming dangerously close to sounding like a Ben Jarofsky column, so I'm going to steer you away from thank that. You, yeah. Thank you, thank uh, you. Yeah, there can only be one in the city. Yeah. And Yeah, and uh, I uh, I do know that Chris Kennedy, uh, I think the, the best thing he offered the city of Chicago from his gubernatorial campaign of 2018 uh, was the notion that these things just don't happen by happenstance. These are accidents that they're results of planning. And you go back all the way to the 70s, the early 70s, when Mayor Richard J. Daley was in charge. And Linda, uh, you can see that the planning plans that they had have largely been implemented, including, which is something I never thought I would be able to say, the uh, destruction of Cabrini Green. Yeah. That, uh, when you tore down Cabrini Green on the north side, my God, what they did to that north side neighborhood, the, the, the changes, you talk about the commodification. I thought that's where you were going to go when you said the commodification. Um, but anyway. I think it's part of it. You know, that's part of it. It's a big, larger dynamic. Yeah. All right. So you're uh, the neighborhood reporter, and part of it is uh, writing about the, the, the changing demographics of Chicago uh, and also is capturing the um the people of chicago uh, we're gonna take a little deep dive uh into one of your stories uh i did homework for this interview i uh, listened <laughs> uh and uh, but before we do that talk as an introduction if you will to the story about bridgeport yeah. let's talk about your middle class story the, the the one that you did that talked about the changes uh in chicago demographics fewer people more people in the city are wealthier talk about that yeah well more sit more uh, the story looked at some data out of UIC and the data had just been kind of sitting up there I had actually been on a panel with uh, this professor from UIC Janet Smith Uh, she's in the urban planning uh, school there and you know I saw these maps she showed Mm -hmm. of the middle class and she had a map at that time I think it was 1970 and then we used uh, 2016 they, they had updated their their numbers so this map showed the middle class in yellow mm. and it was uh well the you know basically like um, 
felt like half the map it was about 50 percent of the map was yellow back in 1970 so that means you know 50 percent of the census tracts in the city are would be considered middle income Mm -hmm. the average income falls right in the middle of what the the median is for the for the whole metro region well by 2016 2017 we're down to 16 percent of the city's census tracts being considered middle income so it really shows both you know, you mentioned the increase in upper income households. We have that. And we see also a big increase in the city uh, in in lower income households. Yeah. So you basically have a more po- a far more polarized city, a city of rich and poor, sort of the tale of two cities. Mm-hmm. And, the, and many implications, uh, one of which is how are you going to fund a city uh, where you have enormous gaps between the wealthiest and the poorest if you're not going to go to some kind of progressive form of taxation. That's Ben Jaroski talking, not Linda Lutton. <laughs> I don't believe your new beat al- allows you to opine, does it? It's more... No, I'm, I'm not interested in opining. I'm still uh, I'm still good at... I like, I like reporting. I'm still good at digging up facts and uh, facts. putting them out there yeah, yeah. or but, or voices you know putting voices on that that don't that aren't heard enough all right and that is a perfect transition uh to a classic chicago voice oh, yeah. that linda captured uh and this has to do with the story about bridgeport uh why don't you give us a little introduction before we uh play uh, the classic chicago voice okay yeah so we've got uh reported from one little place uh johnny o's hot dog stand there on the corner of 35th and and Morgan, northeast corner. Morgan uh, is how far west? It's a thousand west. Mm-hmm, you know good. that, right? Yeah, but you know, I gotta ask you that because our listeners don't know. It's I was called a, radio. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> I was a bike messenger too, so uh, I you know were? all the streets. I yeah. did not know that. Oh yeah, before I was at the Reader, actually. Huh. How I paid the rent before I. So I didn't go to journalism school or anything. Yeah. So you, I had no idea really how to be a journalist. So I just thought, oh, I got to pay the rent. So I'll ride the bike. So that's how you learn. And they the gave city. you a test on all the uh, right. street names. So yeah. I can still do, you know, Chicago to like Harrison or whatever it is, like in order, you know, Chicago Superior. So that's how you knew that Morgan's 1000. Yeah. And we're right now at what we're seeing is 12. 1200. So that would mean uh, Morgan. I'm going to do some great math here. D, wake up. Two, uh, Daniel, two blocks Bess, east. Eat your heart out, buddy. Two blocks east. Uh, Racine. Uh, so anyway, 35th and Morgan. Yeah, 35th and Morgan. Old hot dog joint. And this was right by where the Spiegel's factory was, mm-hmm. which was a catalog, you know, sort of warehouse. It, I said factory, but it was a warehouse. Mm-hmm. And Spiegel's was like a like Sears, but it was Chicago, right? It was really symbolically Chicago, and I think for Bridgeport, I I I was in Chicago, and I just caught this time. Like I think Spiegel's was winding down, but the the thing that stayed around for a while was this bridge over Thirty Fifth Street that had Spiegel's, like mm-hmm. the way the Spiegel catalog was written. You know, it had the logo on the bridge and you you know if you were walking along or driving along uh, 35th street you you crossed under the bridge that bridge existed so the employees could go you know back and forth between the uh their warehouses on both the north side and the south side of of 35th street there without going outside this is just west of white sox park yeah Mm -hmm. west of sox park and uh so johnny o's which I learned a lot about when I went over to talk to them, you know, they had been, there was the way they talked about it. You know, the neighborhood was full of factories, full of, full of manufacturing or warehouses. And basically, you know, every few blocks was another like mom and pop 
diner, basically. Mm-hmm. And Spiegel's ran three shifts. So in that particular uh, Johnny O's, they they made food and they had three shifts. Uh, they never closed. And, uh, and once Spiegel's closes and you get uh, the rest of the factories start closing up shop, the mom and pop joints, lots of them end up closing as well. Mm-hmm. But Johnny O's hangs on. And uh, they kind of, let's see, they get rid of the tables in there and they put groceries and liquor in there because they're like, well, we can sell that. There's still 24 hours though. And uh, they're basically a hot dog joint. You know, they, they got a hot dog window. They got a mother-in-law sandwich, which is uh, everybody should go out and try the, I what think is it's the a mother-in-law, mother-in-law sandwich. It's a very sloppy uh, <laughs> sort of, oh, it's got a tamale on it and chili and uh, all kinds of, if and you're definitely anywhere near Bridgeport, check out Johnny O's, try the mother-in-law sandwich. So you got this hot dog joint, basically, liquor store slash grocery store, and What's going on in Bridgeport right now, you know, gets to exactly what we were talking about, which is just a shift in the type of people working there. You know, Bridgeport of all our neighborhoods, you know, had such a working class um, identity, Mm -hmm. blue collar identity. And uh, now, you know, you see a lot of artists, you see a lot of um, hipsters, lots of hipsters, lots of folks, you know, making soap or Oh no! I I was telling you this. I I hadn't been to Bridgeport in a long time, and uh, in I had to go there in January for the first time in a long time, other than going to a White Sox game, uh, because uh, we were doing a backroom deal with the great Maya Duke Masova. Huh? All right, (laughs) you're getting there. (laughs) Anyway, Maya is uh, my girl. Anyway, so we did the, and I was stunned, um, Linda, to. Wow. I mean, there were yeah. hipsters and, you know, like when I first moved to Chicago, uh, it's like black people don't go to Bridgeport. There were black people. You know what I mean? It's like, well, you know, I should get out more. Uh, get back <laughs> to that really neighborhood. Me. Yeah. I'm like, God dang, Bridgeport is this is not my daddy's Bridgeport. No, it's not. It's not. So this this, you know, plate, this hot dog joint, this former diner that used to serve factory workers, three shifts of them, you know, they're struggling with how do they make their money? How do you get young hipsters to go into a, you know, uh, hot to go place. into Johnny O's, yeah. right? Well, and, you know, across the street, you got like antique taco and, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, you have some pressures, uh, some competition. So they uh, they started, can, should I go ahead and say well, what the strategy is? Wait, let, do why don't we uh, reveal let, on that? Uh, yeah, well, this is great radio here. We're going to play an excerpt from uh, Linda's story and the doctor's got it all ready to go. You ready, man? Not a doctor. Let's do this. He would fight anything that we had new here years ago. When we opened up the store here, we had three pyramid piles of beer. Bud, Old Style, and Schlitz. <laughs> and we're like, uh, damn, we're going to have to beef this up a little bit. And, uh, we've got a lot of Mexican guys on the street, and they want that Corona beer. What? Oh, <laughs> we're going to have to get that Michelob, too. And maybe that Heineken's. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Every time we had to do something, it was kicking these buckets, throwing stuff. Hard for change. Yeah. <laughs> that guy sounds cool. I love that guy. We got to get him on the show. Yeah. We really should get Al Veliotis. He can tell you a lot of stories. I'm going to get Al on the show. Stories. All right, Al. So he's talking about his dad, and he he's talking about, you know, this is way back. You know, they're talking yeah. about uh, this. That's the story he's telling is when they first introduced liquor yeah. into, the, into the shop, you yeah. know. 
So now they're at a whole different place. Yeah, no, the, and they have to get different kinds of beers. Schlitz. What was the other two? Schlitz. The three types of beer, basic beers in the city of Chicago. Anyway, <laughs> Schlitz. I, I'm about the only guy I remember Schlitz. Uh, so uh, anyway, so what's their strategy? Uh, you got that one ready to go, D? Yeah, I believe so. All right, he's the man. <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> Idea. How you doing? Go check it out. Wine tasting. <laughs> Wine tasting. Yep, in this hot dog stand slash diner slash convenience and liquor store with a menu where almost everything is less than four bucks, Johnny O's is adding some highbrow. The idea is just to bring some new faces in here. A lot of these people from the neighborhood uh, go to the art gallery things on the third Friday. Bring them over here. How y'all doing tonight? Uh, wine tasting? Yes. You have this puzzled look on your face. Yes. Yeah. Same joint, just right next door, though. On the other side of a creaky door is Johnny O's dining room. It features tables and booths and a bar that's only open tonight. A half dozen bottles of wine are lined up. Christine Jeffers is serving. So that's a that's a red blend. It's like Zinfandel, um, Tizzarra, a very bold red. For the past few decades, Chicago has been moving awkwardly at times from a manufacturing economy and a working class identity to a city with a growing professional and creative class. Visiting a wine tasting at Johnny O's is like watching that transition play out in slow motion. All right. That's a great line, by the way. I wish I had wrote that line. Watching oh. that play out in slow motion. That's beautiful stuff, man. I was cracking up when I heard that last night. It was like 1.45. I've been up late myself tasting wine and watching basketball and eating chicken. Uh, what a combination, oh, by the way. Good, yeah, yeah. it's a great night. And uh, But I'm paid for it today. Anyway, I heard that because I, I had to do my homework. I had to listen to this. I was cracking up. Good, good, good. good, uh, good. Just the notion of Al you know, greeting the new gentry or whatever they're called uh, yeah. in Bridgeport and getting them to taste the different kinds of wine. <laughs> yeah, unless you think they're going like too highbrow, the wine, the tastes are in like the little condiment cups. Yeah, so it's yeah, not too, right. you know, it's not too too far. They yeah. haven't gone too far. Like the little relish yeah, cup. Yeah, it's like, right, mustard, exactly, uh, yeah, the little mustard cup, yeah. Uh, so are, how did you find your way to that story? Uh, actually, I know some of those uh, artists. I said my husband's an artist, mm-hmm. so I know some other artists. And they were like, "Oh yeah, this uh, you know, they're they're the ones who told me, oh, come on over, the uh, first Fridays or third Fridays, I think it is third Fridays of every month. They do the big arts. Uh, it's like the the Joe Brothers uh, art." space mm-hmm. opens up and it's pretty packed yeah, yeah. and yeah. then yeah kitty corner from that is the wine tasting the wine tasting oh. i love wine uh anyway uh that was a great uh story you told so much uh, about chicago in that story without like opining if you follow me it was really well done linda lutton Thank and you. um that's those are, those are the beautiful chicago stories that are out there right yeah you know? yeah that's that's what those are the little stories i'm talking about that you know stand in for something yeah bigger, yeah right? well the little stories that uh absolutely uh that have there's they relate to greater themes that are bigger than the story themselves uh, cla- that is neighborhood news that's neighborhood news in our, ben how could you spend all those years of your life writing about fights about alleys i think i think i remember asking you one time i i was still at the little do you remember i worked at a little um neighborhood um it was like a 
well, it was a Vista volunteer job. It was my first writing job in the city. So okay. I found it in the reader. Uh-huh. Actually, it was advertised in the fourth force section there, the mm-hmm. classifieds. And uh, it was paid on a Vista salary, you know, by the, that's like the domestic Peace Corps. Mm-hmm. But it was uh, working with uh, Chicago Alliance for Neighborhood Safety. Oh, yeah. yeah, I remember. And I, I was in charge of writing their newsletter, okay. which I actually just interpreted as journalism. They were thinking newsletter. And, yeah. yeah. And so, and I think I remember asking you, hey, Ben, like, how do I get a job like yours? And you were like, I'm not going to be doing this forever. <laughs> Little did I know. <laughs> in like 20 more years, but it you was You were like, wait, good. when's this guy going to leave? <laughs> God damn. He's hanging around forever. Tell the old man, get out of here. Oh, no. I, I don't remember that conversation, but I'm sure it's true. Uh, people are always telling me things I said a long time ago. That ah, sounds like something I might have said. Uh, but anyway, yeah, don't wait for me to leave. You had a bad week that week. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to be here forever. I thought, geez. I was writing about a neighborhood. I actually at, at one point, uh, Linda, you may come to this point, uh, said I was not going to write about any more local school council feuds. And I was doing, and the local school councils came in in the night, like 1990 or 89 or whatever yeah. it was. Uh, I did quite a few stories of these battles, these little, yeah. these political entities that ran the local schools back in those days before centralization gave the power back to the mayor. Uh, and so I would, there would be these factions and it would be, it would be so contentious. It was like a divorce. You yeah. go to one side and yeah, he didn't tell you X, Y, Z. Then you go to the other, Oh, what he did, what he left. That was, and I was like, you know what, man, I, I know this is important to you, but I can't deal with this yeah. anymore. So yeah. you may arrive at that moment, you know, where you just say no more of these local feuds. Yeah. Uh, no, just waiting for the best alley stories, what I'm waiting Alley on. stories, alley yeah. fight stories between yeah. neighbors fighting over the garbage. All right. Uh, the other story that's uh, excellent uh, that I listened to last night as part of my homework assignment had to do with a food hall in Pullman. And talk about that, Linda. Yeah, brand new food hall. So this is, uh, it's called 111 Food Hall. So Pullman, uh, this part of Pullman in particular, you know, we, Pullman, the historic neighborhood is, uh, uh, that's named a uh, uh, national monument by President Obama. So that's brought a lot of hope to the neighborhood. There's also a uh, uh, neighborhood group down there run by David Doig, who mm-hmm. used to run the parks here in Chicago. Um, he is running a very big nonprofit, and they've tried to bring a lot of development down there. Uh, the nonprofit's called the Chicago Neighborhood Initiatives, and it's... Um, yeah, they've they've brought things like a Walmart, and they've brought uh, it's like a little shopping mall with a Ross, you know, dress for less or what have you. And in this space, they were supposed to bring a Chipotle. It was supposed to be a Chipotle. Then the whole thing happened with the salmonella and all that, mm-hmm. and it turned out. Uh, so they came up with this Plan B. Well, Plan B is beautiful. They got three really well-known, accomplished African-American chefs, and they turn it into a food hall. So this is like about the size of what a Chipotle restaurant would be. But when you go in, instead of like the one menu, you got three, you know, three different counters, three menus. Uh, One of the chefs, let's see, Tiffany Williams, uh, she's got uh, like American Fair. Oh, she's going to be, she's got what she's calling the dopest mac and cheese. Dopest mac and cheese, yeah. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> I have that written down. I, <laughs> mac and cheese, it's got yeah. like all kinds of things on it. That are terrible uh, for you, but sound yes, delicious. Yes, uh, heart attack mac and cheese, basically. And then, <laughs> then you got uh, Lane's uh, Bake Shop. 
I don't have any of this written down. So, no, I I don't know, uh, so hopefully people will go to WBEZ.org where you can read the story or play the stories. So you can hear the chefs uh, hear talking about it. Hear the voices, mm-hmm. right, of the chefs. And uh, you've got, uh, so Lane's Baked Goods is... Um, Soul Food uh, Vegan. No, that's that's uh, Chef T. Soul okay. Food Vegan is Majani. Yeah. And uh, Lane's Baked Goods is just, oh, they supply like, uh, they supply like eight states Whole Foods in eight states, and they supply Starbucks. But up to now, she never had a place where you could go buy a pie from her or go buy cookies or whatever from her. You had to go to Whole Foods. So now she's got her own retail establishment in this food hall. Uh, and then the other person is, yeah, Majani. There's a, a Majani's in um, South Shore. This is his second location. Chef T, last name's Emmanuel. Emmanuel. And uh, he... Um, oh, that's and it's him and his wife, and yes, yeah, soul food vegan barbecue cauliflower. Oh my god! Did you eat it? I want to go. No, he what? He did not open before my deadline. Is all I can say. Oh. And so I was there opening day. He opened at. He's opening at eleven. I see. The the other two restaurants were open early, so I went early. Well, that was the part that back. got me hungry. Oh, it was, yeah, it was, it was really... about quarter to two in the morning, and he's talking about barbecue cauliflower. <laughs> it tastes just like chicken wings. I'm like, where can I yeah, get them? Well, I will take it. Yeah, <laughs> but you know. The point is that at, uh, here's a brand new food hall, three African-American chefs. It was uh, Eater. I don't usually read Eater, but I did in this case. Eater Chicago. It's like a foodie type uh, website. And they, uh, they, they actually reported that of some, I think it's three new food halls. I think one's somewhere around here. Three new food halls, yeah. north side mostly, are opening soon. There have been a lot of announcements about who's going to be in those food halls. Out of 24 announcements so far, zero African-American chefs. So one of the points that this, uh, you know, one of the points of this establishment is just to really reduce the costs to the uh, the three chefs. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I was talking to them. They Everybody told me if they had to start a restaurant on their own, probably be around a couple hundred thousand dollars they'd need to come up with. So I think it was Majani told me, uh, he he was able to open this second location all in for fifty thousand. Wow. So that's you know a quarter of what he would have paid. Uh, similar story with Tiffany Williams. So yeah, it was it's sort of a story about collective economics. It's definitely a story about you know some of your okay Tiff Ben. You're the master of TIFF. <laughs> some TIFF funds paid for this. This uh, is a for, this is the former Ryerson Steel yeah, site. Yeah. So. It's former industrial land. One of, in fact, one of the chefs remembers being a kid growing up in this neighborhood, Lane's Bake Shop. Rachel Bernier Green. Uh, mm-hmm. She grew up. Her grandmother. Uh, she was born in Roseland. Her grandmother still lives in Roseland, and she remembers driving by this site basically mm-hmm. when she was a kid. And what she remembers most is how bad it smelled. That it it was that sort of post-industrial. It was a contaminated community. Yeah, I remember her telling that story. Uh, roll up the windows, yeah, as you're driving down there. Look, uh, you know, there you go. I'll give them that TIFF deal there, okay? <laughs> oh, you can have that one if you take back Lincoln Yards. Can we cut a deal right there and then, Linda? Oh. Yeah, well, uh, and also to point out, yeah, Lincoln Yards is, uh, you know, $900 million and this is uh, 500000 That's just a fact. That's not opining. That's just a fact, okay? Yeah, that is a fact. <laughs> uh, then you can just really take off with, what does that mean? Why are they willing to spend $900 million on the north side? And how much? 
500,000. 500,000. Meanwhile, they're going to have the press conference down on the south side with the $500,000 for this bakery. Nobody's paying attention to $900 million. You keep this up, Linda, you're going to turn, really turn into me stepping some Uh-oh. old man in a park yelling, Uh-oh. Uh-oh. socialism. Anyway. <laughs> um, all right, and uh, your your next story, which isn't out yet, but I'm really eager. You got me curious. It has to do with Chinatown, Chinatown. Uh, in Chicago and Chinatowns throughout the country. Yeah, my, exactly. Can I tease too oh, much? Yeah, of yeah, that? yeah. No, that's it. That's the point. Uh, so, yeah, this should be coming out next week on WBEZ and. Yeah, I, I was at a meeting recently. Uh, it was Byron Sigcho Lopez, the new alderman for the 25th Ward. The uh, development, the 78, is entirely in the 25th Ward. This was his first sort of big community meeting as alderman-elect mm-hmm. uh, on the topic of the 78, and he had related Midwest in there, uh, giving their presentation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, there's a lot of community folks, about 100 people there that night. And one of the people I talked to said... You know, she works with the organizations in uh, in Chinatown, and she said, "Well, we've been talking to other Chinatowns, and that's why we're nervous about that." And I was like, "Well, what, what are the other Chinatowns saying?" Uh, and she was basically saying, "Hey, Chinatowns across the country, traditional historic Chinatowns, are shrinking." And they're shrinking both in size and they're shrinking in terms of the percent of Chinese people there. They're becoming less and less Chinese. Uh, So it's basically the gentrification story, but specifically happening to Chinatowns. Mm -hmm. And um, I, so I'll be reporting. I've talked to some folks from LA's Chinatown, Washington DC's Chinatown. There's a guy in uh, Boston who's kind of become an expert on, on what's happening to historic Chinatowns. Uh, he's in he's in Boston, uh, so I'll be putting that on the air, and you can hear what's going on in other Chinatowns. And I think it raises some real questions for Chicago, uh, Chinatown, the 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 seventy eight development, which is even bigger than Lincoln Yards, yeah. and I think this really got missed. I mean, because these two projects ran at the same time and were uh, you know voted on at the same time. You had the one project, you know, in between two of our most affluent communities with highly educated folks. And you had a lot of noise around that. I mean, you had community meetings with a thousand people at them on the south side for the 78. Uh, we had almost no community meetings. It was at the very tail end of things that it was uh, pushed into the 25th ward, the 25th ward at pretty much we can say for the past or for the 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 four months or three to four months leading up to the vote had no basically alderman. an AWOL alderman. Mm-hmm. Alderman Danny Solis has not been seen. I hear he's in Puerto Rico. I think that Is would Puerto be a good Rico? story, by the way. I just assume he's a witness feel, protection. Uh, but, uh, you know, God, I don't know. I, he's wearing a wire and Ed Burke, you know. I, I want to invite anyone who knows where Danny Solis is to give me a call. I feel like Puerto Rico would be, you know, it's kind of like a satellite Chicago neighborhood. Yeah, maybe he's uh, hanging out at Louis Gutierrez's house in Puerto Rico. Possibly, I just made yeah. that up. I have no idea. <laughs> if you're like, if you've been wearing a wire at City Hall, Where well, would you if go? you're working for the feds and they've got some things on you, they're not, they're not going to let you go to Mexico, which is where he yeah. imagine has family and such. Yeah, but, he's from um, Mexico originally. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's not from Puerto Rico, but hey. Uh, you know, no, I I don't know where he is from, but uh, 
78. Uh, yes, I call oh, it Resco Field because uh, yeah. Tony Resco used to own it. And uh, so that's uh, my little pet name for it, Resco Field. Uh, nobody, <laughs> they feel that free to call that. Yeah, it yet, hasn't caught on no, yet. Well, I yeah, but I use it all the time. So yeah, you've got this uh, this giant development. It's even bigger than Lincoln Yards. I mean, this is going to be 10,000 uh, really units cool. of housing. It's a $10 billion project, so it is bigger. And you've got, um, yeah, it was passed uh, zero debate in city council when they passed it. So, and not only that, the lo- let me one more time so everybody hears this. The uh, alderman elect uh, 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 Sigcho Lopez was against approving it. So if we have alderman a prerogative in the city of Chicago, which we don't, it's a fake issue. Uh, the city council would have not approved it. They would have held off because the alderman elect had asked them. Alderman of prerogative rules. He was in uh, he was in LaSalle Street yeah, that day. Protesting. Right? As they yeah. were voting. Yeah. yeah, I was down. Uh, yeah, my colleague Becky Vivi was upstairs covering the city council that day, covering the vote. And uh, I was uh, out in the street with, yeah, with the people. Alderman Byron Sigcho Lopez and five other aldermen. Alderman, newly elected alderman. alderman yeah. Uh, but that is the city of Chicago. It will keep you busy. I have, this new, I have this new idea for a regular feature on the Ben Jarofsky show, and I'm going to force her to agree to it. I think uh, like every th- third or fourth month, Linda Lutton has to come on <laughs> and we'll talk about neighborhood stories okay. and I'll review, renew my old column, oh. at least living vicariously That's through your nice. current stories. We'll go through it and play them again and see how the city of Chicago Chicago uh, is evolving and changing. What do you think about that? It'd be fun as long as you play the stories and we can talk about the stories. Yeah, I'm good All right, with that. very yeah. good. All right, we cut it. That's called okay, cutting the deal, cutting the dude. Deal. Yeah, that yeah. was a meeting. We just had one. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> that's a plan. <laughs> that's how we roll. That's how we roll with the Ben Jarofsky show. All right, very good, Linda Lutton. Linda Lutton, the uh, ace neighborhood reporter for WBEZ. Before that, she was the education reporter. Before that, she edited my copy at the Chicago <laughs> Reader. Before that, she was a bike messenger. She's done it all in the city of Chicago, and she's truly one of the great journalists uh, working today in the city. Linda, thanks so much for coming in. I really appreciate hey, it. Thanks for having me, Ben. All right. Anything very- for you. Wow, okay, I'll take that. See you in three months. I'm going to book you before we go. Uh Uh-oh. Very good, everybody. That's our bonus feature for today. Take care, everybody. He would fight anything that we had new here years ago. When we opened up the store here, we had three pyramid piles of beer. Bud, Old Style, and Schlitz. And we're like, uh, damn, we're going to have to beef this up a little bit. Uh, A lot of Mexican guys on the street, they want that Corona beer. 